Okay, good morning, everyone. I also want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers that are here. And I'm not only privileged to get to share with you today, but um, in the last, I kind of counted earlier, in the last 30 years, this is only the fourth time that I've been with my mother on Mother's Day. So, Mom, would you please stand? And I want my wife, Liz, to stand up as well. So, uh, just really happy to be able to celebrate with you, but also with my mother and the mother of my children. And for some of you that don't know a lot about missions, I think there's a whole category of mothers who send missionaries that's not really talked about that much. But those of you who are moms, releasing your children to go to the largest Muslim nation in the world is, would not be an easy thing. And so my mom did that and uh, was for sure uh, our family's most faithful prayer warrior. So it's great to spend that day with all of you uh, and, and with, my, with my mother. I also want to just say thank you to Spring Valley Community Church Uh, First of all, for the support that we received as missionaries during our time on the field. And maybe more importantly than that, this has been my daughter's home church for the last four years. Um, uh, She reminded me of this yesterday. She just graduated from University of Valley Forge on (laughs) on, uh, Friday. And that's kind of why it's worked out for me to be here on this weekend. So thank you to, to, to Pastor Joe and just making this all work for us. But um, she reminded me yesterday that in uh, June of 2008, I spoke to the church here for the first time. And she came along. The kids always didn't come along when I was sharing in churches. She came along. It was her first Sunday to uh, be a part of Spring Valley. And then during all of her years at Valley Forge, this has been her home church. So thank you, home church, for taking care of my daughter, the Bankies. Uh, I see Barry, and, and I know Barbara's around here somewhere. But thank you also for being another family for uh, my, my daughter while she's been here. You know, as a Christian, we bring our faith with us, but it is so important to be involved in a local body of believers. You can't do this thing called Christianity on your own, right? You need to have people around you. And so I, I just drilled into Leah. I said, when you get to America, while we're still in Indonesia... It's good, I know you believe in Jesus, but you've got to find a watering hole, and this has been her place to come. So thank you so much to all of you for that. Um, I need to probably just make a comment, you know, how do you get from Indonesia to uh, Springfield, Missouri, and uh, honestly, it's not an easy trip. Uh, When Liz and I were serving in Indonesia for those 23 years, uh, they were wonderful, happy years. Um, you know, we were extremely satisfied. Uh, we, we did a garbage dump ministry in Indonesia. I'll talk about it a little bit later. But I, I said, Liz, I could die and be buried here. And they converted part of the garbage dump into a graveyard. I said, I just don't want to be buried in the garbage dump, okay? But really, I said, I could spend my whole life here. You could bury me in the ground here. I'm so happy. Can I tell you that when you get too comfortable with where you are, it's a little dangerous with the Lord. 
And so he began to stir us at the end of 2011 that something was about to take place. And I ignored it and pushed it away. You know, I said, Lord, I'm really happy here. And finally, someone came to our church visiting uh, another minister and prophesied over Liz and I and said, the Lord is going to move you to a very difficult place. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm in the largest Muslim country in the world where am I going? Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, <laughs> where, where could it be more dangerous than, you know, kind of the setting we're serving in now? But I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, if you want to move me, you know, my address, my phone number, my email address, and we are friends on Facebook. No, actually that part, I'm kidding. But I said, Lord, you know how to contact me. You can, you can, you know, if you want to move me, I'm, uh, here I am. And it was a few weeks later that I received a call from Greg Mundus, the director of our mission. And by the way, our mission has almost 3,000 missionaries around the world. And, and he asked me to come back and he said, Jeff, I want you to come back to America and I want you to mobilize the American church for missions. Can I just say that the greatest thing that we can do as Christians is be a part of God's great mission? Do you know that the greatness of a church is not how many people we bring in, but how many people we send out? We serve a sending God who loves to send people around the world. You know, with that kind of as a backdrop, when we think of going out into the world or being sent out into the world, can I just say that the world is a very dangerous place? You know, if you're like me a little bit, you like to turn the news on in the morning maybe or in the evening, and, and I would say that for me especially who had been away from America for so long, when I came back here, I would often find the news to be a little bit disturbing. Psalm 112 and verse 7 says, they do not fear bad news, they confidently trust the Lord to care for them. You know, and even though we know that psalm and we believe that psalm and, you know, we believe, uh, you know, that, that we don't need to be afraid of those kinds of things, you know, we're hit with all kinds of headlines today that can shake us up a little bit. I wrote a few down here. Um, you know, what's going on just a little bit south of us in Baltimore, Maryland, just a week ago? And, and about that same time, a big earthquake destroyed much of the nation of Nepal. And then beyond that, some of the things that are going on in Africa that we hear about and read about. And so how do we as Christians process some of these headlines that are coming to us? Well, what's making those headlines so disturbing? I wrote a few things down in my notes. First of all, it's all of the injustices that seem to be taking place everywhere. When you think about ISIS and Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab, um, can I also tell you that according to an estimate by the International Society on Human Rights, 80% of all acts of religious violence target Christians. That came from the Wall Street Journal. The guy who wrote the article was not even a Christian, and yet he identified the fact that these acts of violence seem to be happening towards us. What other kinds of headlines can kind of put us in a state where we're not sure how to respond? How about nature wreaking havoc with natural disasters? Tornadoes in the Midwest just happening yesterday and earthquakes in various places around the world. 
You know, as a missionary in Indonesia for 23 years, I can tell you that we lived in some ways in a microcosm of some of the things that we hear about on the headlines on a regular basis. So how do those things make us feel? Well, they make us afraid. When we hear about some of the injustices that are being done around the world, sometimes it makes us feel angry. Sometimes we see those kinds of things happening and a level of confusion gets in our mind like, how do we respond to that? Sometimes we worry that those kinds of things will begin to happen more frequently here on our own shores. And finally, sometimes when those things happen, we just want to ignore them because they're very far away from where we live here in beautiful southeastern Pennsylvania. You know, I'm not sure exactly where you're at with some of these things, but this morning I want to read a a scripture and tell a few stories about how we responded as we lived in some of the injustices and some of the things that I talked about earlier. Today I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 5 and verses 38 through 48. And I want to refer to this sermon that actually Jesus preached as Jesus' most epic sermon. Now, the word epic I think is overused maybe a little bit, but I think for those of you that know the Word of God that are in the audience today, most of you would agree with me that if Jesus ever preached an epic sermon, it was in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it was the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to grab a piece of that, and I want to superimpose it on some of the headlines, and then even on some of the things that we experience as Christians in our families and in our, in our work settings and in our neighborhoods. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in verses 38 through 48. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Pretty tall orders that came from Jesus to us. You know, I wonder if the headlines that we read in the news and in the newspaper and see on television couldn't be changed. 
I wonder if we were really following what Jesus laid out in these verses, if we would all of a sudden see a change in the news that seems to be going out to the world and bombarding us on a regular basis. I think the headlines would change if we would do a couple of things. I wonder what the headlines would read or how they would change if we didn't take revenge. Now, when I say if we didn't take revenge, the first thing that would probably happen would be that Hollywood would go out of business. And, and really, I mean, revenge movies tend to sell really well. And, you know, kind of as a, as a guy who, you know, sometimes watches some of these movies, you know, you kind of get a, this feeling when the hero in a story somehow vindicates and makes everything right and brings this level of justice into the world as we see it through our eyes. You know, the message that Jesus preached to us on the Sermon on the Mount is counterculture and flies in the face of what society and culture is telling us to do and, and flies in the face of what the world is dictating to us. He gives a couple of examples. First of all, when he says, you know, the law says that the punishment must match the injury or an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Actually, back in the day of Hammurabi, the reason, and he was just this ancient, ancient king where they first see this law written down, they really made that law to just keep things even. You know, they were just saying, look, if somebody steals your cow, don't kill them. <laughs> You know, if they steal your cow, you can take a cow back. You know, they were just trying to level the playing field. And Jesus is saying to his followers, you need to take that to a new level. And so the first thing he says is that if someone slaps you on the right cheek, you turn to him the other cheek also. Um, one of the things I studied about the culture of that time was that if someone was going to slap you on the right cheek and they were going to use their right hand, what they would do is they would slap you with the back of their hand. Because most of the time they did most of their slapping with their right hand and I won't go into why they didn't use their left hand. But they would slap them on the back of the cheek with the right hand and it was considered by people of the day the greatest insult that you could give to anybody. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you ever been insulted by someone? How many of you are really good at comebacks? You know, some people are good at it, some people are not as good at it. I, unfortunately, became someone who was very good at it, so I had to somehow get that under the blood of the Lord Jesus. But all of us, it's impossible to live and walk in this human life without being insulted. And so Jesus was saying to his followers that if you are insulted, that you've got to allow them to insult you even more without a response. He goes on to say that, um, if someone takes you to court and steals your shirt, that you would give them your coat also. Well, for those of us here in North America, no problem, right? Because we donate our coats in the wintertime. We got plenty of coats. You know, let me just say that most people of that day owned two shirts and one coat. 
The coat was something that they not only used during the daytime to keep the sun off, but it was also what they used at night as their only blanket. According to Jewish law, you were allowed to leave your coat as a form of credit when you borrowed something, but even if you couldn't pay them back, it was your human right that you were allowed to get your coat back at the end of the day. The coat was considered a human right. And what Jesus was saying to his followers was that even your very basic human rights, you need to give them up for someone who asks. The final thing was what I call the walk of shame. Um, it was a law called the Agurian Law. It was a Persian law, a Greek law, and then a Roman law, which forced conquered peoples to basically become a temporary slave of traveling dignitaries and soldiers, whether it was carrying their stuff, giving them food and water, or anything else they asked for. It was generally done at the end of a spear where helplessly you were treated like a slave and you couldn't do anything about it. It. And so I called it the walk of shame because you were a conquered people being forced into labor and you were asked to carry that pack. The law was one mile, but you willingly gave a second mile. His first thing he tells his followers is that when you are seeing injustices and things happen, that you're not to take revenge. You know, when I went to Indonesia 23, you know, those, when, in 1989, started out there, um, for the first time in my life, I became a minority both ethnically and religiously. I'd never experienced that in my entire life. And so all of a sudden, I was on the end of some things, especially with the justice system the way it was, that I really didn't have a leg to stand on to fight back for some of the things that were put on me. And so what I really needed to do was I needed to get my Christianity 101 down correctly. Now, in a more practical sense, Jesus goes on and he gives us two specific things. And he says that if we, and what I want to say is if we want to change the headlines in the world we live in, beside not taking revenge, what if we loved our enemies? What if we loved our enemies? He says in those verses, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. You know, as we're experiencing Mother's Day today, you know, Facebook is blowing up this morning with everybody taking a picture with them and their mom. You could check mine out. I put mine up with my mom and me. What if we loved our mothers 365 days of the year instead of just on Mother's Day? You know, love is something that it's easy to say maybe, but when we actually carry out acts of kindness, you know, love has got to go beyond just saying those words. It has to go to a place where it's met with some action. And so here Jesus is saying that not only are we to love those who are good to us and our friends that we interact with daily, but what if we loved also our enemies? 
You know, there's a lot here, and you're probably the only one that can define this. But if, you, if love doesn't have an action behind it, it means nothing. Who is your arch enemy? What one thing could you do for them? It would probably shock them. Why do we send missionaries to the Muslim world and give food, education, and other kinds of help? Why would we even go to a country where they, did all kinds of thi- they do all kinds of things to fight against us? Um, when I was serving in Indonesia, there was a part of the country that erupted in um, uh, unrest that took place. It was called the Maluku Island Chain. And uh, the Maluku Island chain is actually where uh, Spring Valley helped me build. It was a school slash church because you can't always build church buildings. So, you know, Spring Valley donated the money for us to uh, put up this building that acts as both a school because they didn't have a school and they didn't have a church. So it was a two for one deal. It was a great deal. And um, but in that area there, uh, back in 2000, uh, big unrest happened in the area of the Malukus. If you wanted to check it out and read about it online, um, there was civil unrest. It's a part of the country where you've got about a third of the population are animists, a third of the population are Christians, and a third of the population are Muslims. And uh, they began to fight with one another. And in the beginning, it was a pretty even battle. You know, in Indonesia, you're not allowed to own a gun if you're not in the military or the police. And so they were fighting with spears and bow and arrows and, you know, doing all kinds of things. And people were getting killed and villages were being raised, both Muslim and Christian. But when the majority Muslim population of Indonesia heard about what was going on, um, they sent several thousand volunteer fighters to go to the Malukus. And uh, they were supplied by the majority Muslim military with guns, grenades, and mortars, and they began to slaughter the Christians that lived in the the Maluku Islands. Uh, I I sometimes have a hard time talking about it because the images of what I found when I went there were so disturbing that I I still have, to this day, I'm unable to shake it. Um, On the plane, just on my way here, I was in Phoenix before I came here, and on the plane I watched a movie called The Good Lie about Sudan refugees and I'm sitting in my seat on Delta Airlines and I'm bawling my eyes out. I mean, I thought, the people thought, I mean, I was actually, I was like, I should just turn this thing off because I can't watch it. Because when I see these things about refugees, I am just torn apart. And, you know, I came across uh, different uh, places with, you know, hundreds of refugees and had some money to help them with blankets and food. But um, when I went to help in that crisis, uh, my wife and I have a little fund in our house called the Mad Money Fund. Now, what's mad money? Mad money is like outside of what you get in your salary. You know, somebody would give me money for doing one thing or another. Or, you know, just, and we put it in an envelope. And then when we want to go mad, you know, like here, you just go to Walmart and buy stuff, you know, (laughs) or Target or wherever you prefer. Um, So we had this mad money envelope fund that when all of a sudden we wanted to do something crazy, we would do it. And when I was headed off to this crisis, I said to Liz, I said, Liz, I'm going to take the mad money with me and I'm going to try to do something to help these refugees. 
So uh, when I got there, you know, I was in the midst of trying to help big groups of hundreds of refugees, and uh, I was with the guy who was kind of coordinating everything, and I said to him, I said, look, I've got a little bit of extra money. It's a couple hundred dollars. I, you know, I don't need a receipt for it. I don't need it. What can I do? And this man was a high school teacher. And he said, well, you know, one of the things you could do is that there are 20 high school seniors who have lost everything. They've been burned out of their homes. They've lost all their belongings. They have one semester of high school left. And he said, you know, basically, if someone doesn't help them, they're going to fail out of school. Uh, public school is not free in Indonesia, and so you have to pay for it. But they had lost everything they had, and, and there was about 20 or so. I don't remember you know, the number, but it was in that range of you know, teens to 20 or so students. And he said, that amount of money will pay for the rest of their high school education. A couple hundred bucks, right? So I said, done deal. I love it. I'll, I'll give that. So gave that money to him. And a couple months later, when I came back to help with the, uh, to, to do more for the refugees, he said, listen, at the school, they want to have a ceremony for you because you help the students. So I went to the high school, and I mean, it was like a parade. You know, I mean, all the students were lined up, and they marched across in front of me. And a sign of deepest respect in Indonesia is when they take your hand and they put it on your head. And I remember standing there, and as I went, stood there, as each of the students who I helped thanked me, they took my hand and they wept and put my hand on their head and kind of did one of these, one of these bows. And of course, I couldn't contain myself emotionally either. And, and, and I just said to this guy, Eddie, I said, we need to do more of this. How many other students are in the same situation? He said, Jeff, there are thousands of students who need this kind of help. Now, of course, I contacted churches back in America. People sent me money. I mean, this was an easy sell, you know. I mean, I had all kinds of money coming in to help me out. And I went back to where this war is going on between Muslims and Christians. Christians are being killed and burned out of their homes. And I laid the money down on the table in front of the committee. And I said, here's more money for education, but I'm giving it on one condition. That half the students we sponsor are Muslims. Ouch. You mean the guys that have killed us and burned us out of our homes? Now, I, we can go so far, but, but, but I'm not sure we can, we can do that. And so a big fight ensued among the Christians. Now you think, sitting here in our seats, it's, that's an easy deal, right? We're supposed to love our enemies? You know, that would be something easy to do. But, but really, you know, when you've lost so much... Can you imagine if your neighbor burned your house down on purpose and the flames caught his house and burned it down too? What would you be thinking? Well, I'll let you simmer on that just for a minute. <laughs> Good riddance to your house, you know. You're going to give him some help? Are you kidding? Well, a few brave Christians crossed the battle lines and started helping sponsor Muslim students in the Malukus. And a national news team got a hold of this story and broadcasted across the largest Muslim nation 
in the world. And all of a sudden, the war that was going on between these factions started to dissipate and end because Christians were crossing enemy lines and giving kindness and blessing to their enemies. Can I just tell you that this stuff actually works? You know, let me, let me just say here that if you've got a boss that's just been beating you up and putting you down, if you've got an enemy in your family, if you've got a neighbor that's been troubling you, I don't know what your circumstances might be, but if you would begin to do acts of kindness and show an, uh, an enemy that you love them, I want you to know that God will come in like a flood and change the world. What's the answer for ISIS? Everybody's talking about it. You know, should we send our troops? Should we bomb them? Listen, we can do those things, but I want you to know the only thing that will change the world is the love of Christ. It'll be when we send our sons and our daughters into the battlefield and let them know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. Final thing he tells us to do in these scriptures is he says, what would the headlines read? if we prayed for those who hate us. So we got to love them. we got to do an act of kindness. But we also have to pray for them. Now, I know what kind of prayer we're thinking about here. You know, we're on the Schuylkill, and it's kind of tight. And as we're coming down the Schuylkill, somebody cuts in front of us, and we're like, Lord, give that guy a flat tire in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Take him out, Lord. I can't believe they just did. They just took my parking space, Lord. (laughs) Scratch their car in the name of Jesus. So when we pray for our enemies, we're not praying prayers of take them out, Lord. See, what kind of prayer was Jesus talking about when he said that we need to pray for those, our enemies? Can I challenge you as a church this week that when those headlines come across Fox News or CNN or whatever news station you prefer and you see another violent act done in the world, that you would put your hand on that screen or towards that screen and say, Lord, I pray for the blessing of Christ in their lives. I pray that you would save them. You know, one of the problems we have as Christians is that in some ways we almost would rather see them not get saved than saved. Maybe what needs to happen is we need to pray a a prayer of blessing on them as Jesus suggests. I'll close with one final story. When I was serving in Surabaya, the last city where I pastored, um, Some big economic problems hit the city. Unemployment went to nearly 30% and families kind of were put out of homes and lost their jobs. And, you know, because Surabaya, a city of six and a half million people where we worked, was an urban center, you had a lot of people who had come to the city to look for work and couldn't find it. And so um, there was a large garbage dump in the east part of the city and, and, you know, it was just one of those things. Liz and I, one day, we took some of our mad money again, and we bought some uh, food and just some packages of food. And it was about 100 of them. And Liz and me and a bunch of people from our church went into this garbage dump and just started handing some food out. 
And it was like such an amazing experience that we actually went from there to developing some programs to help these people and uh, all Muslim uh, people there. And uh, we, we ended up renting a, an abandoned school right across the street from the garbage dump. It was this big abandoned school there. And everybody, when they drove past it, said, why would somebody build a school across the street from the garbage dump? And trust me. If, if, I used to take videos of this thing and say, if videos could smell, I mean, the smell was unbelievable. And so I, then as I started hearing those sentiments, you know, we'd drive by, I'd put my hand out, and I was like, Lord, you built that school for me. You built that school for us so that we can reach these people. So we'd go by that, that school, and finally, sure enough, we did some investigating, and for next to nothing, they rented us this complex of buildings, and we started a, an outreach there, which included many different things. But when we, we, when we started there, um, the garbage pickers kind of have like a pecking order of people, and you know, there's kind of like a mafia involved in all of it, and the garbage dump mafia king was not happy with my presence there. And as a matter of fact, this guy persecuted me on every turn, even to the point where he had the community put large banners across the road that went into the garbage dump, kill the Zionists among you. I, was, I, I didn't even know I was a Zionist, you know? I mean, you know, and they had all these banners with threats to the point where even at one point they sent a group of men in a truck one day to try to track me down and beat me up. So, I mean, I'm praying over this guy. I'm praying, I mean, like every day. I had this room in our house where I almost wore the floor out. I mean, I would be pacing. I'm like, Lord, you've got to get rid of this guy. You gotta get rid of this. This guy is killing me. Lord, he is trying to kill me. Yes, take him out. Get rid of him, Lord. You gotta. I mean, I just went on and on and on and on, and nothing happened. And he was really hindering the ministry. And finally, I changed my prayer. Finally, it hit me that I was praying cursings rather than blessings. Do you know that God wants us to pray blessing prayers over people? And so then my prayers began to be like, Lord, you know, I pray that you would bless him in all of his endeavors. I pray for him. I pray for his family. I pray for his children. I mean, I'm just starting to pray blessing, blessing. And, and so then as my prayers changed to blessing on all of his endeavors, it was within two weeks that he walked up to me and he said, you're not going to believe this. I just got a big promotion to be over the largest garbage dump in the city of Jakarta. And so I added that with an act of kindness. I said, can I help you move? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a hand-in-hand it's a -hand thing. Pray blessing. You got that boss that's just killing you. You pray for him. Blessing, blessing, blessing. He's promoted to Sacramento, California. And then all of a sudden you can say, hey, I'd love to help you move your stuff, you know. <laughs> can I help you pack up your desk? <laughs> Be careful with that prayer, though, because God could have somebody worse come in next if you haven't learned your lessons right the first time. But that's a whole sermon that Pastor Joe's going to preach another time, I think. <laughs> but that's really what this whole thing is about. I wonder if we would pray different kinds of prayer. Lord, I pray for, and I'll leave it at blank for whoever, I ask that you bless them and their family and all their endeavors. I pray that you would clear a path so they can know you like I do.
What if that was the prayer that we prayed for every family member who might be in a bad relationship with us? Every boss that we may have over us that we can't seem to get along with? Or every neighbor in our neighborhood that we seem like something just isn't right? I'm going to ask you this morning if you'd stand, and I want to bring this message to a close and pray for you. Thank you, Vinny. He's going to come and help me out on the keyboard. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to ask for a moment for a response from all of you. You know, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, as counterculture as Jesus' message to us was, I want to say again that if we apply these things, they work. They work. There's really very simply two things that you can do this morning. I wonder if this week you would commit, or at least in the next month, commit to doing some kind of act of kindness for someone who's like an enemy to you. Why don't you just place that person's name in your heart? I'm not wanting to suggest that people here have enemies. Maybe it's somebody you don't even think of that often, but you know that it's just not right. Maybe they've been out to do you in at work or in your neighborhood. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to do an act of kindness. Lord, I wonder what the impact would be if every person in this room this week did one act of kindness, Lord. It would spread like wildfire all over southeast Pennsylvania. It would shake people to the core. Why did you do that for me? Why did you carry my pack an extra mile? Why did you turn your cheek to the left so, you, uh, you could, uh, so that I could strike it on, on the other side? Why did you give up your human right? It's because of Jesus. I wonder also that this week, as you're watching the news, if it would just stick in your heart and your mind that when some kind of disruption is going on around the world, some kind of act of violence or terror is taking place, that you'd put your hand towards that TV and whisper a prayer and say, Lord, I pray for those people and ask that you would make a path to you, Lord. I wonder what would happen around the world. Friends, also pray for our missionaries. We have 3,000 missionaries around the world, missionaries that you support even here out of Spring Valley Community Church. You may not even know who they are, but as you see television and those headlines, you could pray, Lord, I ask you, God, that you'd bless our missionaries and help them, Lord, to be a light to those people who are doing terrible things. So Lord, I thank you for Spring Valley Community Church. Lord, I pray that your word would be a light unto their feet. And Lord, that my word today would be a seed in their hearts. Planted, Lord, growing 
producing much fruit. In Jesus' name.